Good morning. Good morning. This Wednesday, I think they're feeding the homeless, even though it's the last Wednesday of the month, because they didn't feed the homeless last Wednesday because of the snow. So, if you want to go. I'll just get your card. The next women's Bible study is this Thursday. I don't know. Thursday, February 2nd. The next men's Bible study is going to be Saturday, February 4th. We got the books in yesterday. You have to let me know how many books you need. I don't know until we finish ours. Okay. We're supposed to work on the wrap up this week and the next time for the snow. Okay. And then next youth night, Thursday, February 9th. And then sign up for email updates or go to the churchne.org and look at the calendar to see what's going on. Right? Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to come together to worship you, to learn more about you, to allow you to speak to our lives, so you allow you to speak to us through your word. I ask that your words would be spoken here today, not mine, that you would lead us and guide us, that you would give us ears to hear your words, that you would give us hearts to receive them. I ask you to watch over each person here, that you would bless them, that you would lead them and guide them this week, that you would help each one of us to be a light and a witness to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. So, we'll continue on going through Romans. We'll be in Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14. Okay, so Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14. I am fully convinced, my dear brothers and sisters, that you are full of goodness. You know these things so well, you can teach each other all about them. Even so, I have been bold enough to write about some of these points, knowing that all you need is this reminder. For by God's grace. So Paul's explained to us that these things, even though the church already knows them, he's going to teach them again. He's going to teach them over and over again. And that they're going to know them so well that they can teach each other. And they're already to that point. And the best way to learn something is repetitive, right? Over and over again. 
So Paul continues to teach them through God's word, um, through the teachings that, that God has given him to teach. And it's nothing new. It's nothing profound. It's the same thing. But we hear, we hear it over and over again. And it can speak to us in many ways. We're in different situations in our lives. Each time we hear it, and it can speak to us in different ways. It's the same word. The meaning doesn't change. God doesn't change. His character doesn't change. But how it relates to what we're going through in our lives can change, right? At different points, we have different things going on. So, and here he talks about teaching each other. So I think that that's something that maybe we don't quite all understand. But when we're talking about God or when we're representing God, we are teaching others. Not necessarily in a formal way, but when we're talking about who God is and what he's done in our lives, we're teaching others who God is. And we're supposed to represent God correctly and accurately. And I think of Job and his friends. You know, we went over the story of Job and what God allowed to happen in his life. But his friends accused him of living in sin. That, oh, you have to be in sin or otherwise God wouldn't have done this. They're speaking and teaching as though they know God, but they don't. And they get in trouble with God in the end. At the end of the book of Job, we read that his friends, God makes it very clear that he's very angry with them for misrepresenting him, for teaching people falsely about him, right? So it's a big deal on how we act, what we tell others, and that we represent God correctly. But with that, we're going to look at Second Peter Chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. And then we'll come right here back to Romans. So, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. For our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. So both Paul and Peter are teaching the same thing. The word to go over God's word over and over again. We're nothing new, nothing profound, nothing obscure. We're just to go over the same teachings. And those same teachings will eventually sink in and affect our lives. We'll change the way we live. And then when we hear something over and over again, then we learn it. And when we've learned it, now we can teach others correctly and accurately. We're not to be looking for the next big thing or, or some new obscure teaching of the Bible. No, it's, it's the same. It hasn't changed since it was written. God's word doesn't change. Not one piece of God's word will fade away. It all is relevant, just as relevant as it was for them in these days as it is relevant for us today. So, and the best way to learn something is repetition over and over and over again. So, Paul's objective and Peter's objective would be that the people would remember these teachings long after they were gone. And what are they teaching about? They're teaching about Jesus, their Messiah. And that's what the whole Bible points to. Genesis to Revelation is pointing to Jesus, to the Messiah. 
So we're to continue to go over these teachings over and over again. We continue to stay in God's Word. We kind of talked about this a little bit last week, that we should be in God's Word every single day. That's important. And that we should be in prayer every day. We should be putting God first. And Paul is going to continue to drive that message home. He's going to expand on that message here today. So we'll go back to Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 16. So Romans 15, 16, I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God, made holy by the Holy Spirit, so I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. So first... We'll kind of start in the middle. What does it mean to be holy? We're told that we're to be an acceptable offering made holy by the Holy Spirit. And to be holy is to be set apart by God. Um, Here we read that God makes us holy. The Holy Spirit makes us holy. To be set apart, our lives um, are to be set apart from sin. We're to, to live a different life. Our lives would be a living sacrifice. This, the word to be an acceptable offering, a sacrifice to God. So Jesus sacrificed his life for us. And there's no way we can repay that. But the closest we can come is to giving him our lives as a sacrifice. Denying ourselves, picking up our cross, following Jesus. That we can no way repay Jesus for what he has done but we can honor him by the way we live our lives and we can live our lives to serve him. And he is worthy of it. We should serve him, not because we owe him anything. We should serve him just because he is God and he is worthy of all of our our love, our affection, our service. Um, We as Christians should live a life not to please ourselves, but to serve him. So, Every aspect of our lives should be about God. We should be putting God first. And that's really what we're saying when we're, we're talking about reading through the Bible or reading the Bible, picking up His Word every single day, putting Him first, getting our perspective right, spending time in prayer with Him every single day. Not that we'll have... It's not a transactional relationship. It's not a, I did this, God, so you owe me this. No, He owes us nothing. It's I get to spend time in His Word. I get to spend time in prayer with Him. I get to allow God to speak into my life, to lead me and guide me through this day. And that's what we should be focused on. Is God going to lead us and guide us through this day? Are we going to spend time in his word over and over and over again, repetitively allowing him to speak to us? It's always amazing that whatever situation you're going through in your life, and when you have a, not a random reading program, but a daily reading, I'm going to read this book, or I'm going to read the New Testament. Whatever that is on the schedule you're on, that what you're going through that day happens to be spoken about that morning when you were reading through. God's speaking directly to you on a certain situation, how to handle something. It just never 
ceases to amaze me how that always works. And it always works out um, for God to lead and guide us. And allows us, allows God to work through us. Here we see Paul talk about the work that Jesus has done through me, through Paul. God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. His will be accomplished with or without us. But he chooses to use us and we can be, we can allow him to work through us. To do a work that we never would have been possible to do on our own. That only he can do through us. A work to point others to Jesus, to bring others to come to know Jesus through our lives, through the work that he has done in our lives. And that's what Paul's saying here. That we're to be this acceptable offering. We're to offer our lives as a sacrifice to God, lay down our desires, put God first, put that into perspective, to um, be set apart, to live this life apart from sin, and to allow Jesus, to allow God to do a work through us, do his work through our lives, to be a tool used by him. That's what we're really called to do here. So Paul's brought us through that we should be spending time in his word. We went over that last week and again this week. And now we should, our lives should be about serving him. Everything we do should be about serving him. So we'll continue on Romans chapter 15 verse 18. Yet, I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. They were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to I. I Elicrium. Close enough. <laughs> so, while we're told we're to be holy, we're to be set apart, set apart from sin, here Paul makes it very clear in the very next verse, we're not to remove ourselves from the world. He was able to speak to unbelievers, to these Gentiles, these people that didn't know God. He was able to speak to them through his message and he was able to be a light and a witness through the way he worked among them. So he's out working among them. So while we're told to be set apart, set apart from sin, where God will make us holy, he'll set us apart from sin, he'll give us desires that are in line with his will. We're also told that we're not to go live this isolated life. Oh, I, I don't want to spend time with unbelievers. No, we're also told we're going to be working in the world with Gentiles, with these unbelievers. Remember, there was Jews and then everyone else is a Gentile in this time. And the Gentiles were definitely thought as of lower people than the Jews, you know. Jews would normally pray, oh, thank you, God, for not making me like these Gentiles, you know, making me better or set apart. So the Jews had a very negative view of the Gentiles. But here Paul is bringing them the good news, the message, the words that he spoke, and then he's working among them. So very important that we live our lives apart from sin. We live different than the rest of the world, but we're still living in the world. We're still working among unbelievers, using every opportunity to point them to Jesus.
through our words and through our actions. So, and then we read in verse 19 here that they were convinced by the power and miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's spirit. That God first, Paul points out that by his words, by his message, by the giving them the word of God, second, by the way he lived his life, being that light and witness, and third, God was able to um, speak to the Gentiles, these Gentiles' hearts by powers and miraculous signs. And for a little bit more on that, we're going to take a look at Acts 19, verse 11, and then we'll come right back to Romans. So in Acts chapter 19, verse 11, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. So we read that God gave Paul the power to do these miracles. This power comes from God, not from Paul or any other human that... Humans on their own don't have the power to perform these miracles. And that the enemy does have, we won't go deep into this, but the enemy has power to do um, unusual things as well. And humans like to tap into that, into that demonic realm. And that is very real. And you want to stay far, far away from that. But this power comes from God. And the enemy's power is a deception, an illusion that isn't true power, but an illusion of power that comes from them. And, and both work through humans. So God can work through Paul. The enemy can work through um, unbelievers and people that um, are into the satanic, the occult, all those things. But here we're going to focus on Paul, that God gave Paul this power, and that through this many people were were brought to know Jesus through these miraculous signs. Now, there's a danger that if you're just looking for these miracles and that's all you see, that's all you're after, that you're not really after who Jesus is. Because remember, Paul pointed us to the word first, how he lived his life, and then God used miracles to speak to people. But it's through our words, through God's word, that we're to point people to Jesus first. That the miracles were not to get caught up in this um, oh, I need a sign. I need a, a wonder. God, if you would just show yourself to me, I would believe. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Believing is, faith is believing in something that we cannot see. And that's what the, that's what our belief in Jesus is. Even though we cannot see him, we know that he's real. We know he's there. We know that he lived and died, that he was a sacrifice for our sins, that he died on the cross, was buried, rose three days later ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God. We know that by faith, right? We haven't seen that with our own eyes, but we believe that. We believe God's word. God's word tells us that, and we believe God at his word. So we'll go back to Romans chapter 15, verse 20. My ambition has been to preach the good news where the name of Christ has never been heard rather than where a church has already been started by someone else. I have been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, 
and those who have never heard about him will understand. So God puts it on Paul's heart to teach people about Jesus in areas where they didn't have a Christian church. God puts it on Paul's heart to start Christian churches in these areas. And that's what Paul goes out to do. Paul starts many churches. He preaches to many people that haven't heard the good news about Jesus. And then Paul here quotes Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13. Actually, he quotes 52, verse 15. But we'll take a look at that, and then we'll put this into context for the, the rest of our study here. So Isaiah chapter 52, starting here in verse 13. See, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence, for they will see what they had not been told, and they will understand what they had not heard about. So Paul takes us back to Isaiah, but Paul is pointing us to Jesus. And when we go a few verses back, you can, you can see that. that it's talking about my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted, pointing to Jesus. But before he was highly exalted, he was beaten severely. He was crucified that he was so disfigured, he hardly seemed human. That his face was so badly beaten. So I've seen this one time in my life. We had a a guy at work that didn't show up for a couple days. And we got a hold of his family. And his wife said that he had been in an accident. And we figured out what hospital he was in. And went to go visit him. Um, and get to the room and he's there but his face and his head doesn't look like a human head apparently the accident that he had been in was he had been out drinking and he'd gotten into a fight with another man and another man took out a baseball bat and beat him over the head repeatedly and his face and his head was so disfigured it didn't even look human and it was um, just an image you'll never forget and that's what I think of here that I could see his body and I could see his arms and it looked human, but from the neck up, he did not look human. So that's the image I get when I read through this verse, that Jesus was beaten so badly that he didn't look human. That now they didn't take a baseball bat, but they took many other objects to him to, to disfigure him, to humiliate him, to disgrace him, to abuse him. And that's what I think of here. And he did that all willingly. He willingly went through that. At any point, he could have cried out to his Father in heaven, and they would have sent legions of angels to rescue him. But he didn't. He endured it all for our, sacri- for our sins to be the sacrifice that we couldn't pay. So when Paul points us to being a living sacrifice, is he not worthy of it? Yes, he's absolutely worthy of it. And we should do that. We should live our lives to serve him. Because he's worthy of all of our praise, all of our love, all of our affection, for all that he's done for us. So that's what Paul is pointing us back to. He's bringing us back to Isaiah for a reason. But he brings us to to verse 15. But I always think it's important when Paul brings us back, 
or, or anyone in the New Testament brings us back to the Old Testament, we should look at it in context. And what is it talking about? In verse 15, that the nations, that he will startle the nations and that kings will stand speechless in his presence and they will see what they had not been told and they will understand what they had not heard about. And I think that that verse has dual meanings. The, the meaning doesn't change, but has dual um, times where we read that Pontius Pilate and King Herod, as they're getting ready to crucify Jesus, would have gotten to see this. Jesus himself, God in human form, was before them. So God has revealed himself to these men, and they got to see firsthand. So if they had not been told about Jesus before, or the God of Israel before, they were told about it now. They got to see firsthand who he was. And I think the other meaning is that this is a, a prophetic meaning, that this will happen again. That the end times when all the kings gather and all the nations to come against Jesus, that they will see him. Um, and, and if they hadn't been told about him, they'll see him then. That they'll understand who he is. But also, we want to point out, because we believe that it's all relevant, from Genesis to Revelation, and when we want to, to talk through the, the Bible, we want to see where else does it talk about this. Because this can lead to, well, people never knew about him and they went on and died. But that's not true. And we've already been over this, but we'll do a, a little reminder. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18. So Romans chapter 1, 18. We went through this quite a few months ago. So this be a good refresher. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, in order for someone to suppress the truth, they already have to know the truth. The truth has to be in them. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. So this is all people. They've suppressed the truth. They've chosen not to believe in God, not to believe in Jesus They've suppressed that truth, but God has made it known to them. He's made it obvious to them in many ways. And then verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So remember, not too long ago, we, we saw the story um, of the Muslims who were coming to know Jesus at the, these Muslim communities all at the, the same time would have these visions of Jesus. Jesus would come visit them in their dreams and it would be the whole community. And many in the community would come to know Jesus, right? So God has many ways of working. He can choose, he chooses to work through us. But even if he doesn't work through us or he doesn't have someone speaking to the, that tribe, that nation, that people, he himself will speak to him. He'll speak to him through his creation. You look at the creation, the world around us, and you think this is no way this didn't happen without an intelligent, creative designer. And that intelligent, created, creative designer we've read about is Jesus. Everything was created through him, right? He created everything. Nothing was created without him. So Jesus created everything. So we see by creation that God is pointing us to him. 
but also that God makes it very clear, gives us this promise that everyone, he has made himself known, he has made himself obvious to everyone. And I think oftentimes the enemy wants to get into our thought lives, right? Well, what about this random tribe of people way off that nobody even knows about? Well, God knows about them, and we know that God knows about them because Jesus created them. And he didn't create them to live this hopeless life, to live this life where they're condemned to hell without a chance of knowing their Savior. No, he's made himself known to them through his creation or through himself, right? He himself goes to visit them, as we get to read about, or as we get to hear, heard about with that Muslim story. You remember that story? Or the, the news story of the, the news anchor who gives this recount of all these Muslims coming to faith and through visions and dreams, and the visions and dreams are of Jesus himself and that he's making himself known to them. So... So, but then, so we hear in beginning of Romans, Romans chapter one, thank you, we read that God himself has made himself known to all. We have also read, not too long ago, we'll go over to Romans chapter 10, verse 14, of how God uses people like Paul to spread the good news. So Romans chapter 10 Verse 14 and 15. But how can they call on him to be saved unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. So how can anyone receive Jesus if they haven't been told about him? Or how can they um, be told about him if no one sends them? Well, God sends many of his messengers out into the world. Think of many missionaries that he sent over the years. You think of Paul, the work that Paul says God, Jesus, has done through Paul to spread the good news, to spread the gospel message. So God uses people like me and you, like Paul, to spread the good news, to share that with everyone in this world. And if for some reason there's a group of people that don't get to hear that from a human like me and you, God himself is speaking to them, right? So there is no one on this earth that was ever created that didn't have the opportunity, the chance, multiple chances to receive Jesus. He's made himself known, okay? So I want to make that very clear. We've been over that, but it's good to go over it again. A nice refresher. So, God himself goes to visit people. God sends out messengers. Romans chapter 10, verse 15. How will anyone go and tell them without being sent? God sends his messengers out to proclaim the good news about his son Jesus. So we'll go back to Romans Chapter 15, verse 22. 
So Romans chapter 15, verse 22. In fact, Paul says, my visit to you has been delayed so long because I have been preaching in these places. So in these places that God sent him to, Paul's been preaching, and Paul had plans to come to Rome long before um, and, and hasn't had that opportunity yet because he's been doing God's will. God's been leading him in all these places, right? And so with that idea that God is leading Paul, there's a couple areas of scriptures that I want to, to talk about. Um, and Acts chapter 16, verse 6 is up on the screen. And we're going to bounce around a few places, but all of our verses will be on the screen. But in Acts 16, verse 6, it says, Next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Figura in Galatia because the Holy Spirit prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. So God is leading them, right? God is leading them to these other areas. Um, Paul had a desire to go to Asia, but, but God was preventing him from going. God was leading his path. And so there's a couple teachings on this, or a couple areas that the Bible talks about this, and it may seem contradictory, but I want to explain that quickly and go through that. So, the first one is Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. And I love this verse, and this is a a very common verse. You'll see lots of people quote it. So we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps, right? So we can make plans, like Paul had plans to go to Asia, plans to go to Rome, but we get to read that God had determined his steps and sent him other places, and that he wasn't able to go to Asia and Rome at that time, that God was leading him. So Paul makes his plans, but God is determining his steps, right? Now, we can make our plans and we can fight against God um, like we get to read about with Jonah. We get to read that Jonah fought against God and it didn't go very well for him. Ultimately, Jonah ended up preaching the message that God wanted preached where he wanted to preach. And that entire nation that Jonah preached to repented from the president of the nation all the way down and the entire nation came to know God. So God's will will always work out. It'll always come to pass whether we allow God to use us or not. He doesn't need us for his will to be accomplished, but he chooses to work through us. And that's what Paul is speaking about, and that's what we're reading about here. So we read that, that we make our plans, that we have our ideas, we think, oh, I think God is leading me here, or, or I have a desire or a longing to serve these people or to love these people or to do this with these people. But God is guiding us through that, whatever that is. So if I go to same Proverbs chapter 16, but I go one verse back to verse 8. And here it says, in verse 8, Proverbs 16, verse 8, Better to have little with godliness than to be rich and dishonest. So here we have this, this parody, is better to have little but to live a righteous life than to have lots but to obtain that lot, those riches, through dishonest measures. Um, and oftentimes the Bible will talk about cheating others, not paying them what we owe them, um, misleading them, filling their, 
their bags of what were to pay them with chaff instead of wheat. You know, if your payment was in wheat, but you fill the bottom of the bag with chaff, the chaff is worthless. You, you cheated them out of what you owed them. So oftentimes the Bible will refer to these, if the riches are obtained by cheating others, that you're, you're in trouble, you're in the wrong. Um, and here we're going to look at, at, at James. This is another verse that talks about God leading um, and I want to explain this. But in the context of where we were just at in Proverbs, that to be rich dishonestly is sin. So James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. We're going to go verse 13 through verse 17. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and will stay there for a year. We will do business there and make a profit How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It is here for a little while, then it is gone. So here James is making it very clear to us that our life, this life here on earth is very short. It's like the morning fog. The fog is there for a little while and then it's gone. And that's what our life is like. Our life here on earth is very short compared to all of eternity. We are eternal beings. We will eternally be with God in heaven or we will eternally be separated from God, but we are eternal beings. So when we compare our short lives, our 70, 80, 100 years here on earth to eternity, it's very short. It's like the morning vapor. But Paul or James is warning them, how are, who are you to say that today or tomorrow I'm going to, tomorrow or next year, I'm going to go move to this place and I'm going to make a bunch of money over here. I'm going to do business over here. I'm going to make this big profit who are you to say that? How do you know that that's where God is leading you? And that you, you haven't said you've consulted God. You're not looking to God, but you're looking to, I'm going to go make money over here, or I think there's an opportunity to be rich over here, or whatever that is. You're being driven by money, is what James is pointing to. So we'll continue on here. James chapter 4, verse 15. What you ought to say is, If the Lord wants us to, we will leave and do this or that. Otherwise, you are boasting about your own plans, and such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. So James clears this up, that we're to say, if the Lord wants us to, we'll go here or there. But the the verse before that is pointing towards we're being driven by money. And we're being not driven by the Lord, where Paul, in his love for others, his desire to go to Rome or to Asia is to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. He's being driven not by money, by profit. He's being driven by a life of service, by being this offering to the Lord. And God is guiding his steps. So is it wrong for us to say we have this desire to go here, to to share the good news here, to do this or that as it points to Jesus? No, those desires aren't wrong, and God will guide our steps. But is it wrong to say that we're going to go do this or that, and we're going to make a profit, we're going to get rich in this way, this is the next thing, our minds and our lives are focused on money? That is where we fall short. That's where we run into problems. So 
it's perfectly okay for us to make plans to say that I think this is where God's leading us. This is what we'll do, but we'll leave it up to the Lord. If that's what he wants, we'll pursue this and he will guide our steps. He'll open the doors he wants us to walk through and close the ones he doesn't. And that's absolutely right. That's what we should be focused on. That's what Paul was focused on. But here in James, James kind of says, who are you to say you're going to go here or there? But that's when people were focused on money. He's referring to those who are focused on this wealth and not on serving God, not on living this life as a sacrifice. So we'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 here. Actually, we'll go 6 through 10. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food or clothing, let us be content. So what Paul is saying to Timothy here is be content with what you've been given. That contentment in itself is great wealth. That there's great value in that. And what I think about is, I think about the, there's a show about all these lottery winners. And they kind of went through their lives. Um, and the, no matter what they won, whether they won a million dollars or they won big, you know, multi-million dollar lottery jackpots, the story seemed to be the same. The story was pretty much that they got all this big sum of money that they spent it on all kinds of things that weren't sustainable, that oftentimes their friends and families, when it was all said and done, wanted nothing to do with them, mostly because they were mad at them because they didn't share enough with them, or they could have given them large sums of money, but it was never enough. And when they're asked, well, how much more would you need to be happy, to be content? It was always a little bit more. And that's the way it is with, with money or with wealth. No matter what you have, no matter where you're at, if your focus is on money, if your focus is on obtaining things, that you will never be content with what you have. You're always going to be after a little bit more. You could be one of the richest people in America, and oftentimes you find that they're not content with what they have. Well, if I just had a little bit more, that would make me happy. And that's a lie from the enemy. That's false. That's not true. That being content with what we've been given is what will make us happy that there's great wealth in that, that there's eternal wealth in being content with what God has given us. When we come to this mindset that, that everything we have is a gift from God, everything we've been given is given to us from God, that it's all His. None of it is really ours. We don't own anything. He owns it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and I believe that to mean that one wealth and things are meaningless to him but there's no end to his resources that he can provide for us in whatever way that is whatever capacity but we're to be content with what we have we're to be thankful for what he has given us we're to keep our eyes focused on him so we'll continue on keep looking at first timothy here starting in verse nine but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered far from the true faith and pierced themselves 
with many sorrows. So here we read that money isn't evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That when our desires are to be rich, when our desires are for money, that we are putting that ahead of God. And that that's the, the door for all kinds of evil opportunities in our lives. For all kinds of ways that the enemy can use us to do all kinds of evil in this world. To have evil desires to cheat people out of money that you owe them um, when it comes time to pay them. All kinds of things when you love money. But when you love God, when you put him first, you trust that he has all of it worked out. That he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That I'm going to serve you, God. And whether I have little or whether I have lot, I'll be content. That I'll be content with what you've given me. It's all yours anyways. That my desire is to serve you. My desire is not to go out and make myself rich. I have come to find I don't believe in anything along the lines of a self-made man. I think everything we have comes from God. And that God gives us the desires of our hearts. And that for those that desire wealth and money and power and fame, that yes, they'll have that, but they'll also have that with all the evil that comes with it. And that, that oftentimes separates them from God. And even though it's not good for them, not healthy, not what they should have, God gives them the desires of their hearts. But if our desire is to serve God and to put Him first in our lives, then He will provide for everything we need where he guides us where he guided Paul to to whatever area he was in God provided for him and not just um, money falling out of trees but we read that Paul worked for it Paul worked among these other believers um, and that Paul had a job and that God provided and that Paul at times had little he said and at times he had lots and either way he was content and that's what he's telling us again here we're be content with what we have. That we're to pursue a life serving God. And that when our plans are pursuing that, pursuing this life to serve God, that he will direct our paths. So with that, that's where we end today. Do you have any questions? Andy's not here, so no questions today. <laughs> okay. Well, should we pray? No questions? No comments? You're good? One is the saying that you can't take anything with you, but you can send it on ahead. And that there's eternal rewards for the things we do in faith, when God's, not just good works we do, but the things that God's called us to do. And when we follow him in faith, there's eternal rewards for that. So while we can't take anything with us, we can pay it forward or send it on ahead. And that when our lives are focused here on 
this earthly life and what's right in front of us, we lose sight of the bigger picture, this eternal picture. That whatever comforts you may have in this life are kind of pale in comparison to all of eternity, to eternal rewards. So, yeah. Do you have any questions? Comments? Did you take notes today? Did you draw a picture today? Oh my goodness. Okay. Should we pray? Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for um, the ways that you do lead and guide us. And you guide our steps. I ask you to give each one of us a heart to pursue you, to pursue the things um, that are important to you, to pursue living a life as a light and a witness to those around us through our speech, through our words, through our actions, through how we conduct business, how we act in the workplace, how we um, are content with what we have, what you've been given us, um, and whether that's little or lot, and that's usually all different throughout our lives, that that um, changes and that we're content all throughout. I ask that you would just give us your Holy Spirit, that you would lead us and guide us, fill us with you, that you would bring healing and comfort um, to all those, that you would guide the doctors um, and treatment plans and, and everything that goes on. I ask that you would bring healing um, to my mom, that you would bring healing to Kathy and Susan, that you would bring healing to Scott and Pam, um, to Christina and to Bonnie, um, that you would bring healing and guidance for those in the PTSD and EMDR counseling, that you would give them the strength to pursue all the way to the end, that you'd bring healing to Joey's knee, to Matt's knees, that you would watch over them, that you'd watch over the coffee family, that you would give them patience and peace and wisdom and forgiveness that can only come from you, that you would give them the, the words to speak, the, to be that light and that witness you and you alone. I ask you would give Ming strength and guide him. You would speak to him. You would give us each the right words to speak this week to the situations that we're in. You would lead us and guide us through it all. You would lead us and guide us to a, a church that we can support, come alongside. It's in Jesus' mighty, mighty name we pray all these things. Amen.